the organization was founded in Los Angeles, but we've been part of forming national coalitions or sister coalitions, very similar to Chairler. So when I started, there were five immigrant rights coalitions in the country. We now have over 40 immigrant rights coalitions that are in similar structure, similar way across the country, but also the state of California. Uh, Chairla is an organization that is not just LA-based, but we're almost in every major county in, in California. But again, the thing that never changes is us working directly with immigrant workers, immigrant youth, and immigrant families to guide the agenda of the organization. Welcome to the fourth installment of the Chapters podcast series. I'm your host, John Barrett Ingalls. In our Chapters series, we focus on stories surrounding the exclusion forced removal, and internment of Japanese Americans. But with all that is happening in our country right now, in this historic moment ripe with the potential for change and growth, we are expanding our scope and amplifying the voices of organizations and individuals who are trying to make a difference, who are standing at the convergence of art, education, and social justice. With this series, we honor those who have struggled and suffered in the past and question, how are we still here? How have we not come any further than this? In this episode, we connect with Angelica Salas, the Executive Director of the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights, or CHIRLA. Angelica shares her story of her journey into the United States to rejoin her parents at a young age, their path to legalization status, and how that lived experience and struggle led to her career fighting for rights and representation for all immigrants. Angelica, I, I think the best place to start is by telling your story of mm -hmm. coming to the United States. Um, so I was born in Durango, Mexico, and I was uh, born in the Sierra of Durango, and that's where my family had been, has, still continues to be, lived for generations. Um, my father had come to the United States to work um, and also to save uh, some of the ancestral lands that they had that were because of various situations they had, um, they, they were uh, in jeopardy of losing. And then so he came with his brothers to at least like, save the farm <laughs> and then um, uh, follow, you know, he, he was in, in the United States for some time. And then my mother uh, followed after that. Um, so we, my sister and I, she was a toddler. So, you know, I was maybe a little bit um, like four or five years old. And so um, uh, there was a moment in time that uh, my grandmother heard from my parents that they wa they wanted us to be reunited with them. And so we came to the United States as they did undocumented um, and, you know, basically crossed the U.S.-Mexico border, took the journey from Durango all the way to the U.S.-Mexico border in California and then uh, crossed uh, the border like so many other people do and uh, had several tries, got caught a couple of times, and then finally were able to make it. And we were reunited with my father and my mother in Pasadena, California, which is still our home. Um, and uh, at that time when we arrived, uh, my um, I knew, um, I remembered my mom. I didn't remember my dad that much uh, just because I was so little when, when he left. And my sister didn't quite remember my mom at all. So for her, these were just very, very much strangers. Um, we also, when we arrived, um, we saw a little baby boy. And um, during the time in, in between, uh, my mom had my brother. And so we were finally a family. And that's how I came to the United States. 
Do you, I mean, I know you were very young, but do, do you have memories of that journey? Um, I do. I do because they're very, they're very vivid. Um, they're very vivid as a child, you know, kind of um, having to cross in the middle of the night. I remember uh, crossing, um, I don't know if it was, it was a river or it was a, um, some, you know, crossing um, over this waterway and my um we were crossing with my aunt and my uncle and i remember that um i had my grandmother had bought me new shoes for this trip in in her my aunt's um, struggle to try to get across she dropped the one of the shoes and so i remember crying and screaming that my shoe my shoe and my my aunt my new shoes and my um my aunt just covered my mouth because she didn't want me to, mm. to, to scream. Um, I remember that was one time that we were detained. The second time um, we were detained because um, the Coyota had this idea that um, my, my aunt was very fair skinned and maybe, maybe um, she could um, cross at the U.S.-Mexico border, but at the beach side, uh, pretending to be just a regular beach goer with us and as her kids and uh, as we were, so we were all in bathing suits and as we were going into the Coyote's car, immigration arrived. And I remember being in a detention center where there was uh, fluorescent lights and um, dripping dripping wet. Um, and so those are the things. And so I think we probably made it um, on the third try. They separated us from my aunt and my uncle who were really, they were teenagers, 14, 16 year olds. And they separated us um, and uh, uh, my sister and I were brought in um, but in, an, in a vehicle in the, the third time around. But we finally made it. So I do have memories. Um, I have very, you know, sort of memories that are very seared in my mind. But then there's a lot of things that, you know, just as a child, I mean, I was very young, so I don't quite remember as well. But there are things like arriving to Pasadena. I remember um, <laughs> the the tunnels that take you from on the one on the 110 from um, LA to Pasadena. So I remember the tunnels and how bright I thought they were. Mm -hmm. And I remember the Coyote saying, we've, we're almost, we're almost, to, you know, we're almost to Pasadena. So that was something I remembered. And I remember when my mom opened the door uh, and that, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, sort of memories of us arriving and our first Christmas and our first toy that we ever got. And, um, and that was basically, you know, there's, and then, later on you know just kind of growing up and and going to school what, what were some of the challenges that you and your family faced um when you were growing up here in, in california and Pasadena? Well, my, my parents were undocumented and they were also some of the you know sort of they were they were you know they were working my mom was a garment worker my dad worked in he was a lot he worked in a laundromat then worked as a groom so certainly you know just kind of seeing them struggle as as workers right and then during that time especially this is in the 70s and the sort of mid late 70s and there was just immigration worksite rates all the time they'd get on buses and so there was always this talk in the home about immigration being everywhere and so and then um definitely um, I remember the issue of wages, and then I also remember immigration issues. And the biggest piece was, um, yeah, and so my, when I was maybe like 10, 11 years old, there was a, a, a work site raid at my mom's. And those things happened all the time, but this time she had, she was detained and sent back to Mexico alongside my uncle, my aunt, and then having to come, you know, and, and really struggling to come back. And that's when my dad said, 
we got to do something about this. We can't live like this. I remember that. I remember, you know, just remember things like, um, we, they decided that they were going to tear down our house and, um, because they were going to build something else, we rented it, um, having to then move to a different house with all the families that had been displaced. We, everybody kind of got a, a, a home together and just was, there's a lot of joy because there's so many kids, but I also remember like you get the living room, you get the, mm. the, the dining room where you sleep with your family. And then, um, and then my parents looking for a place to rent. And then I was the one who spoke English and just hearing them uh, told, being told that, uh, you know, they didn't rent to Mexicans. And, and then my mom would say, what did they say? And I would say, oh, I don't know, because I felt like I didn't want, I didn't want them to hear that. that. Um, and so I still remember the house. Uh, it's on Marengo because we lived on Marengo and they were looking for these homes. So every time I drive by, I remember the houses that were supposedly for rent and then kind of hearing them. And it's like, those are the kind of things that kind of stay in your mind. It's still my, my, the place I live. Um, uh, and uh, yet I remember very well, like I'll like those, those are the things that kind of stay in your mind. And when I drive up the, up Marengo, I, I you know, on the right side, as I go North, I it's like, Oh, that's the house where they told us we could rent because we were Mexicans. <laughs> That, that's kind of a, a common role of the, the, the children of immigrants is to, to become this advocate for mm -hmm. the family. Um, and uh, as it is easier for young people to learn the new language and kind of mm -hmm. assimilate into this new way of life. That's right. Um, uh, and you were the oldest child, so you had to take on this role for the, for the whole family. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. But I was, you know, that happens a lot for the oldest of the of the child, you know, the, the children. And it also, you become sort of an, a, you know, a young adult sooner, or, you know, you're a, you're a child, but you're dealing with adult things. Um, and that happens a lot, whether it was going to a doctor, and then having to translate for my mom, um, you know, uh, not understanding how to translate what the doctor was saying to tr properly translate it back to my mother. Um, it was also a lot of it was my interfacing with her bosses. She was a garment worker. And so it was also, um, and she did piecework. And so just doing the math and trying to explain to my mom that the, her paycheck did not, was not equal to what she actually did and that they basically were uh, taking, you know, stealing her wages. And, um, and I remember um, one of the bosses, uh, my mom would also take uh, work at, to, uh, to the house to, to do um, well piecework and you know after um, to do you know to continue sewing and so it would be uh, there was one particular boss who came picked up the the dresses my mom had finished and I said hey um, this year this is not you pay my mom this I did the math over and over again you did it wrong and I was you know I was a you know I was like I was really good at math and I said you're doing it wrong and how mad she got at me and how she told me you don't understand and I said no I understand but you're not paying my mom what she um, deserves, right? Let me let me add it up for you again, and and I could just see how mad she was at being caught for um, stealing um, my mom's wages. So those are the kind of things that I think many times um, young kids of uh, of immigrants um, who can't speak the language, right, um, have to do. But then at the same time, they're your parents, mm -hmm. and you kind of see them in this in this way of like this vulnerability, and all of a sudden you feel like 
I mean, of course they're protecting you and they're taking care of you too, but then you also feel like you got to protect them and you from this other, the, the, this outside world too. So it was an interesting way that that relationship develops. And it kind of opens the door for what you ended up doing with your life and career. Uh, I'd love for you to tell us about how you discovered and became involved with Chirla. Mm -hmm. So, first of all, Chile started in 1986 um, during the first uh, amnesty when the Immigration Reform and Control Act passed, when employer sanctions as a, as a, it was now employers who hired undocumented individuals were supposedly going to be punished. But in, in, in the negotiation, um, those who, who were against employer sanctions were able, in the negotiation, they got legalization for millions of people, close to 2.7 million people got um, legalized through that program. That's about almost 40 years ago. The last legalization program of its kind, people who were able to move from being undocumented to uh, green card holders and many who then later became citizens. Well, that's when Chirla started. So I remember hearing about Chirla on the news, especially the Spanish language press, um, about, you know, Chirla is here to help people legalize their status. At that time, I was 15 years old. Um, I was in high school. I knew how to use a typewriter. Forget computer, because we're still using typewriters, right? And um, so I uh, was able to help a lot of my family um, legalize um, or fill out their paperwork so they could legalize their status, whether it was because they were working in the agricultural industry or because they had been here a particular amount of time that qualified them for amnesty. My family had gotten legalized sometime a little bit before that, just because of a um, class action lawsuit around uh, family petitions um, that actually qualified us to get our green cards through my brother. But that was very, just a couple of years before. And so now I was seeing the rest of my family, my uncle, my aunt, the ones that came with us, that brought us actually, not came with us, they were the one who brought us. Um, they were able to legalize their status. And and I just saw the 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 joy, the relief, the tranquility that everybody, the that it was just exhilaration at this idea of like now we're now we're legally able to live in this country. And I will, you know, that has always stayed in my mind. Uh, because as I helped so many of my aunts and uncles and cousins and uh, just close family members, uh, just to see how their life changed after that was a, was something that was very important. And it also I also sort of connected it that I connected that moment to Chirla. Um, so fast forward, you know, I go on to you know graduate from high school, go on to college at Occidental College. Um, then there's the uprisings in 1992. Um, I, I hear about this organization that's working again to um, make sure that those individuals who are caught up in the, uh, you know, in the uprising, um, and they apparently immigration had come in and brought in buses. That Chirla was standing up to make sure these folks were not deported um, and protesting these actions. And so there, there, there it was again. I went to the East Coast, and, in, and while in the East Coast, I also see what's happening around Prop 187. And, and so this was like the, an anti-immigrant uh, ballot initiative that did pass in California that said that kids couldn't have school, that you had a duty to report undocumented people, and that um, uh, the, those people who, who would help the undocumented would also be uh, uh, criminally uh, fined and you know, all sorts of things. And it was a really difficult time. Um, so I come back from sort of my, from the East Coast, I come back and I was actually 
uh, going to go on to get a master's at Yale University around international relations and immigration policy. But when I came back, I said, well, I have some time before my deferment goes, you know, is expires and I could go back to school. I'm going to go volunteer at Chirla. So in 1995, in April of 1995, I came to Chirla to volunteer. Um, and uh, I, one of my volunteer duties was both administrative, but it was also working on the hotline that had been established to listen to a lot of the reports of discrimination from people impacted by Prop 187. Um, and I think that's really what set the course uh, in my court, my life course in a different direction, which was to stay. Um, I really felt it was important for me to stay during that time. Um, and um, I let my deferment expire. My volunteer work became employment at Chirla. I thought I was only going to be here for an additional year. And so I've been here for, for um, since 1995. Um, the organization was doing a lot of work um, to uh, stand up against Prop 187, but also to ensure now that the people who had legalized in 86 became citizens and, and were, you know, really, people were really motivated to become engaged after they saw that. Um, they had to participate in the electoral process in order to combat, to stop these kind of propositions. And so I saw that happen. I also saw um, new uh, changes in at the federal level around immigration law. Um, so really punitive uh, changes in 1996, um, welfare reform that passed also in 1996. But in welfare reform, it was about um, disenrolling uh, legal immigrants from safety net programs. And so it just really was a moment where I just felt like this is where I needed to be. And um, and this is what, uh, it was about my family. It was about, you know, people like me that looked and, you know, that looked and, and also uh, really had the same experience as my own family and my parents. And so I stayed. And so I've been at the organization since that time to the present. In 1999, you became the executive director. Yes. I, I, well, at first, I was the interim director in 1999. As my executive director, my boss uh, decided to step down. And so the organization went through a whole uh, search process that just took a, longer than they, they expected. Um, and so I was the interim director as I was in, during the time um, that I was in, in at Chirla. I had been given different responsibilities. I was always sort of very, uh, and I still like the administrative part of the work, you know, sort of the, the what both, you know, I love the, the work externally, but I also think the internal work is important of an organization. And so, um, so I was just given different responsibilities. And one of them was to serve as the interim director until they hired somebody. And then um, it, again, it took longer. And then when they weren't able to find their candidate, I think they had a candidate who then decided not to take the job after you know these months left search. Afterwards, I said, well, why don't I just put in for consideration? Why don't I put my my own, um, you know, myself in for consideration? Considering that, I you know it's been eight nine months, and so I I I've, I've done you know I think I've kept things afloat. So I I I, uh, I submitted my own resume went through the interview process and then was hired as the executive director in 2000. And, uh, and obviously the organization has transformed and changed in so many ways. And that's what I would, I would love to talk about how that organization, I mean, you know, this is pre nine 11 to where we are now in this post Trump era, where a lot has happened 
with regards to immigration. Um, and I'd love for you to talk about how that role has changed and how the organization has grown and evolved in the last mm -hmm. two decades. Well, I think in in the late 90s, we make this very strategic decision about directly organizing immigrants themselves, in addition to organizing organizations who work with immigrants, so doing both. Um, but I think that was a uh, transformative moment in terms of uh, the course of the organization. So really saying we're not just going to advocate for immigrants, we're going to advocate with, we're going to Im um, organize immigrant youth, workers, um, uh, and, and from that moment forward, really having immigrants really lead forward um, the, the work. And I think that's been part of the success of the organization, but also looking um, looking nationally to saying, okay, the con all of this is because people are not able to legalize their status. So legalization, the ability for people to be formally recognized in this country, to have permanent residency and then have a path to citizenship has been fundamental to where we've we've gone. At the same time, we said we can do, we can transform California. We can transform systems. So this state that was such an anti, so the anti-immigrant state, the state that launched, um, uh, you know, leaders across the country who were, uh, who were xenophobic and anti-immigrant, we can do um, things differently by really um, catalyzing the political power of our community and uh, and then making sure that those who are elected into office uh, represent us but also respect the immigrant contribution and and the immigrant human beings right human. Um, and so that ha that has happened and through many many years of work very persistent work um, we were able uh, year after year have gains that that sought to um, uh, restore California back to a place of um, of recognition of, of the immigrant community. And maybe um, immigrants were never respected, but certainly uh, in the state, in, in that way, it's sort of like an extraction of labor and extraction of talent, but not necessarily um, conveying rights uh, to that population. I think what we did year after year after year was pass legislation, pass policies at the state level, at the local level. Um, and and um, that really created additional pr uh, protection. So first mobilizing in the streets to protest conditions and unfair practices, mobilizing to um, city halls and to our state capital to change policies, and then also mobilizing to Washington, D.C. Uh, to speak of the injustice. But I also think the most important thing is as well, or maybe one of the critical things was also and and really um, organizing the power of the immigrant family to then um, uh, participate and create real uh, power that then um, forced elected officials to act in a different kind of way. And that's where we're at now. Um, the other thing is that the organization was founded in Los Angeles, but we've been part of forming national coalitions, so our sister coalitions, the way um, the the very similar to Chairler. So when I started, there were five immigrant rights coalitions in the country. We now have over 40 immigrant rights coalitions that are in similar structure, similar way uh, across the country, but also in the state of California. Uh, Chairla is an organization that is not just LA based, but we're almost in every uh, major county in, in California. Um, but again, the thing that never changes is us working uh, with directly with immigrant workers, immigrant youth, and immigrant families to guide the agenda of the organization. 
I'd love to just really, I know we were running out of time and I have a lot of, <laughs> a lot more I'd love to talk about, but um, I, I know this may be a, a basic question, but I'd love for you to talk about um, the, uh, uh, the differences between these terms, refugee, asylum seeker and migrant. Okay. Well, um, to me, it's uh, first and foremost, everybody is a migrant. You know, it's it's really how you are recognized in international or domestic uh, law, but really refugee and asylum uh, seeker uh, immigrant, you know, to me, or migrant, which is what um, it, to me, those are government and um, yeah, government definitions. Um, but they are, they're very specific. So a, a refugee is somebody uh, who based on their um, situation in their home country is considered an individual who, um, uh, who cannot return to their home country because of violence, persecution um, to their, uh, to their uh, human, as, a, as human beings, and they cannot return. And therefore they need, um, they seek, um, they need refuge in another country. Uh, they've been displaced from their home. They've been forcibly, um, uh, you know, they've been forced to, to leave. And so refugee is basically uh, a, a term that's given to people who then um, seek the status outside of the United States and then are, um, and then from wherever they're given that status are then enter into the United States or any other country. So they are considered prior to their entry into their new home, they are given a refugee status. An asylum seeker has the same, has to meet the same conditions that a refugee um, needs to meet, the same, the persecution, fear of life because of their social group, et cetera. But the difference between an asylum seeker is that um, they were not given refugee status anywhere, but they showed up at a port of entry in another country and they meet the same conditions. They, they have to pass credible fear interviews, but now what they have done is they have arrived directly at the border. And, and so therefore um, they are allowed to enter the country, but now they will now be asylum seekers internally. It's just, it's the how you enter the United States. And both um, uh, a refugee, um, they go through the entire process outside of the United States. An asylum seeker, they go in, in if they if the uh, United States is their destination. An asylum seeker is doing the same processing that a refugee would do, but inside the United States. And it is obviously not guaranteed. Just because you're allowed to come into the country does not mean that you will finally be given that uh, protection. Uh, refugees also have different levels of supports. Um, than asylum seekers. That's something we're trying to correct in, here in the state of California to say, just because you showed up uh, at a border, you're meeting the same conditions. You could possibly not, you had you arrived at, at the borders because um, you could not do anything else but, but seek safety. So that's the, the difference. And then um, it's every, you know, there's this whole thing about everybody else who just, who enters into the United States, they're not seeking asylum. And many times there's, um, but they are seeking um, protection um, and, and also a better opportunity because they cannot survive in their home country for economic reasons. Um, they are, and I, I, our perspective is they too are forced from their home for, and, and many times when you think about 
you know, they arrive at a, at a, a point of entry, they're not going to be allowed to come in as asylum seekers, but they desperately need to uh, survive. And their survival then for many times forces them to enter into countries in an irregular fashion without inspection, without going through this process. And those individuals become undocumented immigrants. And so that, and for us, the way Chirla operates is it doesn't matter what status the, the United States or give you, at the end of the day, you have been forced to leave your home country, enter into a new, uh, a new country, and then have to seek to survive. Refugees, asylum seekers have different support levels than obviously somebody who's undocumented, but we believe everybody deserves the ability to live and to thrive in their new home. And that's what Chirla is about, to create and um, to, you know, to advance the human, the civil and um, civil rights of immigrants and refugees, but also to create a just society in which they're included. So being part of creating, uh, transforming systems in the United States so that we're all seen and treated as human beings, but also that were included in, in, in these processes. Many times immigrants are not included in certain safety net programs and opportunities for education. So creating that opportunity and that inclusivity is part of our work. We want to thank Angelica Salas and everyone at Churla. For more information, visit churla.org. Chapters podcast was produced by Past Forward and made possible with support from Chapman University and California Civil Liberties Public Education Program, a state-funded grant project of the California State Library. For more information, visit pastforward.org, chapman.edu, and library.ca.gov.